for our Bible book this term, Philippians. You'll find that on page 1178 if you are using a church Bible, Philippians. Now we're going to be at this letter for uh, 10 or 12 weeks or so, but uh, it is uh, a really short letter. It'll take us 10 weeks to get through it. It'll take you 10 minutes just to read it. And therefore I'd encourage you between times on Sundays to read this letter, to read it again and again, that it gets into your bloodstream, into our bloodstream, our minds, our hearts, our consciousness as a church. I really want us to live in this letter and with this letter over the coming months. This morning we read the beginning section, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory, to the praise of God. This is the word of God. Let's ask that he speak to us through it. Lord, we pray that in these coming weeks and months as we study this letter, And as we read it ourselves in between times, we pray that as a God who speaks through his word, that you would speak to us very clearly as a church and as individuals through this letter we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A pastor's letter or a minister's letter to a local church That's the heading for the first two verses I've given, a pastor's letter to a local church. Paul and Timothy, that's who the letter is from, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, to the church in Philippi, almost certainly a local church, a church fellowship like this, 
grace and peace to you. A pastor's letter to a local church. The Apostle Paul had planted this church in Philippi about ten years before he writes this letter. It was the first church ever on European soil. You can read about the church plant there in Acts chapter 16. Since then, over the past ten years, Paul had visited them. But the Apostle Paul is now under arrest in Rome, 61 AD. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, that's Rome, and to everyone else that I am in chains. He's a prisoner for Christ. Paul is a prisoner in Rome, and he's just had a visitor, a man called Epaphroditus, a member, maybe an elder, from this church in Philippi. Click over to chapter 2, verse 25. I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, whom you sent to me to take care of my needs. And uh, you see what's happened. The church at Philippi had sent Epaphroditus to Paul in Rome in prison in order to take care of his needs. And now the apostle is sending Epaphroditus back to the church in Philippi. And uh, you can imagine the conversation between Paul and Epaphroditus as they parted. Paul would have said to him, I'm sure Epaphroditus, thank you for coming to see me. You have no idea just what it has meant to me that your church sent you all the way to me to tell me you are praying for me. Thank you for coming. Thank you for taking care of my practical needs. Thank you for being here. It's time for you to go back. As they embraced, as they would have done, Paul just slipped into Epaphroditus' hand a letter. He said, I've written a letter for your church. Keep it safe, take it back. And read it out to your church in Philippi. And that's what we have. A pastor's letter to a local church. Why do we write letters? Why do you write Christmas letters to share your family news? Or uh, some of the ones we received to tell us how wonderful other people's children are. All the prizes they've won again. Why do you write a love letter to tell someone you love them or at least hint at it? Why does a minister write a pastoral letter? Because they have something important to say. Paul writes for a reason. Now what Paul has to say to this church at Philippi and why we'll discover together over the next few months. But here's a summary, a trailer. This is the gist of what he says. He says to them, you're a strong church. There is so much to give thanks for, for God is at work in you and has been and still is. 
You're united, you're strong, you're committed to the work of the gospel, but now you're going through a tough time. You're facing pressure and you need to be vigilant to guard your unity. To love one another, to serve one another, that you might stay strong, stay united through a tough time. Now that is the reason Paul writes this letter. Now, I do not need to point out to you nor myself, the relevance of this letter to our circumstances as a church. All my instincts, given what we face, is to take one big step away from it, or two big steps away from it, and occasionally let what we preach on a Sunday have a relevance to it. But uh, for all sorts of reasons, over the past month or so, I feel it's right that we go to the Word of God, to the most pertinent letter we could find, to speak right into our circumstances. And there is no better letter than this. There is no more gentle letter, no more persuasive letter, no more powerful letter than this. To hold a church together under pressure. Notice one or two details in the opening verses. First how Paul refers to himself. Paul and Timothy, notice what he says, servants of Christ Jesus. That's not how Paul often starts his letter. Usually he goes, Paul, an apostle, and a servant. An apostle, you've got to listen to me, I'm an apostle. He's still an apostle here, but he doesn't call himself an apostle. He goes straight in, servant. Why? Well, we'll see right to the letter that the attitude Paul commends to the fellowship at Philippi to build unity is servant-heartedness. So Paul, the great apostle, says, I am your servant. And so we'll get to a text like this in the middle of the letter. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Second detail in these opening verses, how does Paul refer to them, to the people in the church at Philippi? Notice he writes, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers, that's the elders and the deacons. Now Paul is not saying that the elders and the deacons are not saints, they are. He's uh, saying that uh, the, the leadership needs to be uh, attentive to what Paul says, but Paul's main point is he's writing to everybody in the church, to all the saints. There is no partisanship in Paul's heart. He is the minister to everybody. He loves them all and is committed to them all. This letter is for everyone in the church at Philippi. Every one of us in this church. Now, that might just be... uh, the kind of thing Paul says at the beginning of his letter. But he, he makes it clear that's exactly in his mind. Look, for example, at verse 4. In all my prayers for you. No, in all my prayers for all of you. Verse 7. All of you share in God's grace. Verse 8. God can testify how I long for you. No, all of you. 
So imagine in Philippi as this letter is read out. It becomes clear by verse 8 that the apostle is writing to every single person sitting there listening. All of us. All of us this minister writes to with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now those of you here who are ministers and pastors will understand exactly what Paul is saying. So let me say it to you as your minister. This letter is for us all. And it comes with the affection of Christ. To every elder, to every preacher here, to every member, to every worshipper, there must be no partisanship in our hearts. Third detail. Paul's words of encouragement to them, verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that word peace. What's peace when it's in the Bible? Peace is not a kind of feeling. The Bible doesn't mean that when it uses the word peace. Peace means reconciliation. It's a fact of what happens when we become Christians. When grace comes into our lives, peace is given to us. Peace with God. And peace with one another. And so when a church faces a difficult circumstance where the unity is under pressure, the very nature of who we are as Christians means that our starting point is default reconciliation to one another through the gospel. That's the beginning of pastor's letter to a local church. Then, verses 3 to 8, thanksgiving for partnership in the gospel. Now, it's not hard for me to convince all of us that the Apostle Paul writes what he thinks. Uh, the Apostle Paul is not going to write a whole lot of stuff that he doesn't really mean. He just isn't like that. He calls it straight. And so what he says in these verses is absolutely what he feels. Listen to what he says. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. He can hardly take the smile off his face or in his mind, or in his heart, or the joy when he thinks about them and remembers them to the Lord. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way since I have you in my heart. These are strong words from the Apostle. God can testify, verse 8, how I long for all of you. It's almost as if Paul's in Rome and he's up against it and his, his life is ebbing away from him and all these churches uh, where he's been to are going wrong and he, he suddenly remembers Philippi and he starts smiling. He thanks God for them. What Paul writes here is utterly truthful, utterly sincere, utterly genuine. Why is he so thankful? Why is he so thankful? Verse 5 is the key. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The key phrase, partnership in the gospel. What does it mean? Some of you in your Bibles might have fellowship. Fellowship just might run the risk of being associated with some kind of glow of warm fuzziness. It's not a, a kind of feel-good thing partnership in the gospel, although it is that too. 
The word partnership here is from the world of business. In Luke's Gospel, for example, the fishermen James and John are described as being in partnership with Peter. The sense then is of people in business together, striving together to a common goal with a common energy. Think of a sports team. I just, uh, I'm just reading Matthew Pinson's autobiography, gold medalist at four successive Olympic Games in rowing. Now there is a sport, rowing, which illustrates very powerfully partnership, striving together with all our energy to achieve a common goal. The last part of the book is his diary and his teammates' diary for when they won the gold medal in Athens by one inch over 2,000 metres. And it's striking reading each of their diaries, recalling the race. All each each of the four of them thought about was they would not let the other one down. Of course, if one had, they would have lost by an inch to the Canadians and taken the silver medal. And Paul gives thanks here for these Philippian Christians because right from the very first day they heard the gospel, every single one of them had been engaged in that active, wholehearted, energetic gospel partnership to make Jesus known. Now one aspect of this partnership is their partnership with Paul as their founding pastor. Since Paul planted the church at Philippi, they've stood shoulder to shoulder with him. Verse 7 whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. They've stood with Paul, they've aligned themselves with Paul as he has defended and confirmed the gospel all through uh, the regions of his missionary journeys. They've stood with him in the good times, that's easy to do, and they've stood with him in the tough times. Now, remember the circumstances of the letter. Where's Paul? He's in prison in Rome. What did they do in their church at Philippi? Well, they prayed for him. But they had a kind of elders meeting and they said, no, we're going to not just pray for him, we're going to send somebody to him so he knows we're right behind him. And so they sent Epaphroditus to Paul in Rome while he is in chains. Now, uh, it's striking how Paul, often in his letters to Timothy, perhaps the clearest, expresses his heartfelt disappointment at people deserting him when he's under pressure. But here, he expresses his heartfelt thankfulness that they stand with him when he's under pressure. Another dimension of their partnership with Paul, it's practical. They sent Epaphroditus to him in Rome. Just think of the difference. A, sending him a letter saying, we're praying for you, and B, giving that letter to Epaphroditus to take to him in Rome, which is more powerful, which has a greater impact. They sent Epaphroditus to take care of Paul's needs. It's personal, it's practical. Just glance over to chapter 4, verse 12. Paul writes, chapter 4, verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him, that is God, who gives me strength. You see, Paul's confidence ultimately is in God, but God works how? God works through God's people. So verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, As you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, 
when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, remember Thessalonica, Paul's there, it's great, he gets drummed out of town. He has to run off, he has to escape, he has to go into hiding. Not one church here, apart from you, Philippians, you came to me again and again and again and gave me aid. Genuine, committed, practical gospel partnership. We've just had Inger, one of our global gospel partners, with us for a month. Sally and I met with her last Sunday night. And uh, she spoke with genuine thanks and appreciation for the gospel partnership of St. Catherine's, particularly for the team here looking after her, standing with her in the work prayerfully. None of us who listen to Inger will, I suspect, forget that little peninsula in northern Siberia called the ends of the earth. We're going to pray for it. Standing with her prayerfully, personally, practically, financially, all of that. It's been encouraging over the past few years to see more gospel partners going out from this church, nationally and globally. And I trust there will be many more as we invest in the work of the gospel beyond these walls. What a model we have here, standing with them, personally, practically, through the good times and the tough times. Now, when Paul speaks about the partnership of the Philippians in the Gospel, he's not, I think, simply speaking about their partnership with Paul as their founding pastor. What Paul is referring to, and we get this as the letter runs on, what he's referring to is also what has been going on in the church at Philippi, what it's like on the ground in that local church. Right from the start, these Philippian Christians have been engaged in active, wholehearted, energetic gospel partnership to make Jesus known on the ground in Philippi. See, it makes sense, doesn't it? The kind of church that sends an Epaphroditus halfway across uh, Europe and Asia Minor to get a Paul in Rome is the kind of church that's doing that kind of thing at home. The kind of church that supports Paul, all through his missionary journeys, is the kind of church that will be holding out the gospel in his community. The two go together. And it's that kind of unity, that kind of energy, that kind of common partnership for the work of the gospel to make Jesus known in Philippi that Paul wants to protect and ensure it goes on into the future. There is no second letter to the Philippians in the Bible. There's no two Philippians to see what happened. Did this little church stay united? Did it stay strong? What happened to it? Now, what does gospel partnership look like in a local church on the ground? Well, reaching, making Jesus known in the community, like impact, I guess. Our carol service guest events. Let me just pause for a moment and acknowledge the direct relevance of this kind of letter to our circumstances and assure you there is not a vestige of partisanship or agenda in my heart. None. 
Surely the right thing to do when a church is under pressure is to turn to the letter in the Bible that most accurately speaks into that church's situation rather than skirt away from it or avoid it. Building networks of small groups, that's gospel partnership on the ground. Training everybody in evangelism, leaders to lead, gospel workers to go out, working together energetically to make Jesus known. And it takes every single one of us to play our part. I always think that the church here is on the edge of managing to resource what it does. Apparently 70 odd people are involved in making a Sunday morning work. Or Friday nights, 20 odd people. But gospel partnership in the end is not about what we do or what rota we are on or what lists we are on. Gospel partnership in the end is about who we are as part of a church community. Our attitude to one another, our servant-hearted commitment, being here on a Sunday. You know what makes a minister more glad than anything is just when people are here on a Sunday. Because they see that they're going on in the Lord. What do you do when you're here? You talk to one another. Or you sit next to someone who's new and you welcome them. Such are the marks of a church where gospel partnership is thriving. Philippi was a strong church. St. Catherine's is a strong church that is cause for thanksgiving. And Paul is confident that all that is good in the church at Philippi will continue. And I guess as minister, I am and have to be confident that all that is happening in here will continue. And our confidence ultimately is not in ourselves. Our confidence ultimately is where Paul's confidence is for that church in Philippi. Verse 6, being confident of this, that he, that is God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, if Paul's confidence is in God to carry on all that is strong, our confidence needs to be in God to carry on all that is strong. And what do you do as a Christian? What do you do as a church when your confidence is in him? You do what Paul did and you pray to him for that church. And so verses 9 to 11, Paul prays for progress. And this is my prayer. And of course, what Paul writes here is what he prays for them. As he sent Epaphroditus back to them, he'd be praying this. Epaphroditus is back and Paul's mind would clock, you know. He's about back now. It's taken him a couple of weeks to get home. Um, I guess they've gathered the church together, going to read the letter and Paul would be wondering, is it tonight, is it tomorrow? He'd be praying for them, praying for them as he read it, praying for them as they digested its contents. This is my prayer. It's what he's praying. It's what we need to be praying for this church. One, that your love may abound more and more. Notice he doesn't go straight to the jugular and says, let's pray, we'll be united through a tough time. He doesn't say that, he says, one, your love may abound more and more. Love may deepen, flow over almost, is the sense of abound. Now, love for who? 
Well, love for God and love for one another. That's all over this letter. Love for God and love for one another. Pray that our love for God will deepen and pray that our love for one another will deepen. That's the first thing the Apostle prays for a church under pressure. So pray this every time you meet in your small groups. Pray it individually. Pray it together that our love for God and for one another will deepen. How will our love deepen? Paul says, in or through knowledge and depth of insight. Love for God and for one another deepens not by default, but through knowledge of God. That's striking. How do we deepen our love for God and for one another? By deepening our knowledge of God and the things of God. How do we do that? Through his word. How do we love God more? How do we love one another more? We immerse ourselves in the speaking God's revelation to us. I just have a hunch often on a Sunday at about quarter to one in service two or quarter to ten, eleven in service one that we love God and one another more than we did an hour before. Why? Because we have immersed ourselves in the word of God. God speaks through his word and we love each other and him more as we do so. Love comes through knowing God. So what a good time for us all as a church family to put right if we need to, and most of us probably do, myself included, that daily devotional rhythm of reading our Bibles and praying. When ministers say myself included, most people don't believe them, but it's true. What's the last thing you do when you're under pressure? Sit down every day with your Bible open and pray. Or family devotions. Sitting together as a family around God's word. Or if you're in a flat, two Christians, three Christians, whatever, or your mates sitting together around God's word, coming to your small group with a fresh desire to meet with God through his word that you might love him more and love one another more. And with all that lies ahead of us in the next few months, all the talk there will be about procedure and voting and building and plans and presbyteries and denominations and this and that and all that and all that, go on and on. In the end of the day, more than that, more than that, we all, all need to listen to God through his word. God is a speaking God. He speaks to us through his word. So pray for an attentiveness, a listening, a submission to God's word in our life as a church. And what will this lead us to? Where will deep love for God and for one another, grounded in the word of God, lead us to as a church? So that, verse 10, you may be able to discern what is best 
and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. See what he's saying? The result of this kind of praying will lead to two things. One, we'll know what to do. And two, we'll become more and more godly. Very simple. Very profound. We will not get through this if we do not love God and one another. And I really mean that. We will not love God and love one another if we do not listen to God as he speaks to us through his word. And if we do these things, well, we pray for discernment and godliness. And in all we do, why we do it, as Paul concludes, to the glory, to the praise of God. Well, let's be quiet for a moment and then we'll pray as we come to the Lord's table. This is our prayer that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God.